Bearcat Bounce Podcast. Back at it again. I am Brent Young, and I'm joined by two pals that I saw not too long ago in a state that I never really imagined seeing them in. That was Dallas, Texas. Down there and where where everything's bigger in Texas. I tell you what, Jerry's World was 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 that was a pretty big place. What wasn't as big was the outcome of that game, but we'll get into that. We'll get into that. First off, got to say hi. Hi, guys. It's been a while. It's been, what, two or three days. Long time no see. Great to see your faces. Aaron Smith, Chad Brendel. Guys, how are we? Well, we can't hear from Aaron because he's muted. So, mm. well, I'm going to rewind and say, first off, we need to talk about this title sponsor that we have, Danco Transmission. Oh, oh, believe me. Believe me. We'll be, we'll be diving all into that Danco Transmission. Because Danco, I, you can still go to Danco, guys. I know you already got your oil changed before you headed down south. Congratulations. They hooked you up. They got that $10 discount because you mentioned the BBP. Guess what? I know you probably drove crazy on the way home and might have hit a couple things here and there. Out of frustration, you can head back to Danco. Go, go get another oil change. $10 <laughs> off when you mentioned the BBP. Or, or Bearcat Journal, or, or you know, mention Chad or Aaron or myself. I'm sure they'll they'll be able to work it out from there. But Dan Co Transmission, love you. After that, Aaron, Chad, guys, how are we? Pretty good. Happy to be Pretty home. Good. I feel like I'm mostly caught up on the sleep I didn't get for five days. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, but it was it was an awesome time. It was so. Yeah. What can you say? I made the drive drive back yesterday through the uh, the wintry mix from Arkansas through Tennessee, and uh, that was that was something. Jeez, I, well, driving you guys at least you can tr- control your own destiny with driving. The flight situation, ice. well, true, but the flight situation is crazy. I'm I'm still down in Florida. Got a had to rebook a new flight tomorrow morning, so. Uh, one more day working in the sunshine, I guess. But, hey, slow but sure, I'll be back with you guys in the Midwest, in the beautiful Midwest. But we got to talk about what happened down there in Dallas. AT&T Stadium. Man, it was it was bouncing. Uh, you know, first off, I got to continue to just tip my cap. The UC fan base, man. That That is incredible, you know. They showed up and they showed out. I was at Texas Live before the game, packed with UC fans. I walk over to the game. I'm seeing, wow, there's a lot of Alabama people here. I'm thinking maybe Alabama might outnumber Cincinnati. Probably about 50-50, but the noise level was 80 Cincinnati, 20 Alabama. A huge when Alabama got pretty loud when Alabama did Alabama things. things. Yeah. I was gonna say at least at least till the end. <laughs> I mean, I'd say it was probably my guesstimation was probably 55-45 Alabama, which is quite a bit better than I thought. I thought we were gonna be looking at a 65-35, 60-40 type deal. Right. Um, the thing was, like Alabama fans do not have time for Texas Live. They got to Texas Stadium and they were in the stadium, like they just all immediately straight to their seats, sat down, yep. watched Alabama practice, warm up. Like, they were uh, – you could tell they've done this before. Yeah. 
They, they were not here to party. No. The business trip. Right. Jeff. Chad talks to people on speakerphone in public. Uh, let me explain. So Ed mentioned something about uh, hating people that talk on speakerphone in public, which everybody hates that. Nobody likes that. I, and I explained, I, I, I said to Jeff, like, I used to have a troll that would talk shit to me. And his insult to me always was, you talk on speakerphone in public. And I was like, I, I do not. That's, it's insulting. How dare you? That's a that's a big burn. I'll slander be my name in that capacity. I think you have too many inside conversations to speak on speakerphone in public. Right, like that. There's <laughs> no chance I can talk on speakerphone in public. <laughs> Everybody would know too much at that point in time. So that's where Good that speakerphone. Well, uh, sounded like Nippert South on the television set. Well. Uh, what what aided what did aid Cincinnati was Cincinnati's side was the television side, like where the cameras and the microphones and press box, the press box, like that's where the setup was. Yeah. So Cincinnati got they didn't get the um, you because know, the cameras were pointed at the Alabama side, so you didn't get like the full view of the Cincinnati fans the whole game, but you definitely got the audio from Cincinnati fans the whole game. Look, it was amazing. The, the, the crowd was amazing. The the atmosphere outside the stadium was amazing. Um, we had we, we figured out like those carts would take you anywhere around uh, that whole outside facility. They weren't just to take you from like the tailgate to the the front door as long as you tipped them. So we drove around to like four different tailgate lots uh, getting different carts. And just popping in and seeing different people. We stopped in and saw the the Letterman's Club and um, had a really good time just kind of popping around uh, using the the transportation methods available because that's a walking between those lots was a haul. Yeah. It was spread out, boy. I walked from Texas Live to find you guys in the parking lot and I was safe to say I was sweating. But uh, yeah, that's like probably. End Probably more so the uh, the fear of the game, the uh, you know the the anxiety was kicking in as I was walking as well. But yeah, I mean, they don't lie when they say everything's big in Texas because man, it, it it's pretty widespread. That stadium is is massive. Can we talk about that, the mac and cheese? I was going to talk about the Walmart right across the street from the stadium. Yeah, <laughs> how random? Just, yeah, it's just literally you know. like it's Walmart Street Stadium. Like there's nothing in between. And you can see it easily from from the parking lot. Heck, you can probably see it from inside the stadium if you're in there. But no, um, yeah. What if, what if you needed, like, you know, a pair oh, we took of advantage of draws or something? We we ran over there and got a, a cooler and ice for the people that I was with that were tailgating. Like, it was they convenient. Know <laughs> Jerry knows what Jerry's no fool. He can't be happy that it's there. Let's be honest, <laughs> right? <laughs> but there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Yeah, another giant corporation, but no, I, it was it was an awesome atmosphere, and it it did seem like gosh, you know, just if if one touchdown, if that that opening offensive drive that Cincinnati had would have resulted in a touchdown, that place would have just blew up. But we'll we'll talk more about the game, Chad, because I know we're we're still pre-gaming here. We're still talking about the pre-game and pre-game. Yeah, we, we sat we down, had, had we got to the game. Yeah, we're we're doing the good part now. We we had a pretty doggone good meal in Jerry World. Um, the chicken wasn't very good. 
Oh, I, my piece of chicken was phenomenal. I liked the really? chicken. I told you yeah. when I was eating it, I liked the chicken. Mine wasn't very good. Mine was a little dry. I didn't. I, I guess I just didn't get a good piece. Damn, you got. I I, I doused mine in that sauce. Same. Slipped same. it over a couple times. Threw it on the plate. It was good. Um, the 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 tenderloin with the wine yeah. reduction, the red wine reduction, was outstanding. It was. The it mac was. and cheese was delicious. Like. Mm-hmm. High level mac and cheese. It was award winning. Apparently, we found out from people who worked at the stadium that yeah. they—that's like one of the best kept secrets at the stadium—is the mac and cheese that you have to find like on the lower level somewhere at one of only like one spot in the whole stadium has this secret delectable mac and cheese <laughs> that they use truffle on it and stuff. Like it was, it, was it wasn't so as good as the mac and cheese I had Thursday night at the restaurant that we went to. But it was it was up there. It was pretty elite mac and cheese. What, what I thought was cool being down on field level were those field level suites. Yeah, like that was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't see shit, but I, you know, you sign <laughs> up for that, and you've got the sixty yard video board to watch the game on. But for a fan to be like that close, yeah, to everything, that was really cool to see. Those things were awesome. You know who was down in one of those suites? On the Who? Alabama side, who'd you have? Butch Jones. No way, really. Yep, on the Alabama side, decked out in Alabama gear. Save his boy, head coach of the Bearcats. Sheesh. Well, uh, that's another story for another time. But I, no, so I I kind of compare Jerry Ward a lot to Lucas Oil Stadium because I've been to Lucas Oil a lot, <laughs> and I'd like to say Lucas Oil's right up there with just the aesthetics and everything that they bring. They're two kind of similar places. Uh, they have the field level suites as well at Luke's Oil. Just a lot of fun. A lot of fun. But, gosh, man, that that place was just crawling with Bearcats. Had Alabama there. The buildup was phenomenal. It, you know, I it caught me a little bit during the national anthem. A, a, a tiny little tear might have trickled down. And I, I, can, I, turned to, I turned to Aaron. I was like, I'm freaking out. Like I can, I can vouch for you. I can totally vouch for you having tears in your eyes at that moment. I was like, oh, all right. Getting a little, little emotional, big oh, fella. I mean, it's just like incredible. I, you know, you can't write it up. And then, and that's the, the allure and, and everything that comes into this game and what ended up happening afterwards kind of is just, you know, it's, it was the outcome that was not really ex- expected, expected by a lot of people, but kind of not what uh, the, the diehard true fans were were hoping or expecting because I, I don't know it, it, it seemed as if it was an outcome that was one you know Carrie did a good job in his article today about you know just it it just was the inevitable final closing that was just building quarter by quarter you just saw that the offense was struggling to move the football you saw that the defense was was doing all they could to, to bend but not break but eventually they were going to break at some point special teams did everything they could as well I mean it's yeah, just, special teams were great yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Mason Fletcher is that man is well on his way to another I mean, just, James Smith. Yeah, another just memorable <laughs> Bearcat career. The and the the swag walk after his fifty four yard yeah. punt, dude. That was like that was a bomb. Yeah. I was standing behind the Alabama punt returner, and he probably had to retreat fifteen yards. Yeah, to get and back then, to that ball, and then didn't it, go anywhere. Every single time, yeah, it was it was Tyler Scott and Trey Tucker just right there the second that they got him. So, watching Tyler Scott play special teams gives you a hint at why 
Luke always like jabs about Tyler Scott playing defense. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he is, he is special teams ace. Like ball hockey as, a, as a gunner. Yeah. He is no, he went corner. They want to corner. Yeah, yeah. They want to, they, they would love to move him to corner if the kid would, <laughs> but I don't think it's going to happen. No. Um, that's right. Ethan Wright is the safety. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Ethan Wright's the safety. <laughs> Fick gets his way. There was an unnecessary roughness on the rake. Did I miss that? I I don't know if I maybe I missed it, but I here's the thing is that Luke always mentions the entire season, the three phases, and he mentioned it in the post-game press conference as well. He mentioned it just ad nauseum. It's just one of his go-to phrases, you know, gotta win in all three phases, complimentary football, this, that, and the other. And they had the two two of the three phases completely locked in. But that final phase, that offense just could not get going. But, you know, the rake, let's keep mentioning him. He, he got a little shout-out, of course, with that much exposure. You're going to have people tweeting about you. They were tweeting about his, his size and, and lack thereof uh, muscles in his arms. I saw something <laughs> along those lines. But, you know, it, he's a guy that just he's getting it. He's going to be a valuable weapon. Um, Obviously, there's there's rumblings about you know Brian Mason moving on and and I love you Mason family. We'll we'll see what happens. But you know it it just it seems as if there is a nice strong establishment there at the punter position. But here's the thing, I felt really good for Cole Smith because yeah. that's a guy that clearly had something going on during the season. Um, didn't dress for what probably. Well, the last field goal that he made was in the Temple game. Didn't dress for probably five out of the final games down the way. I he just the way that he was able to come out and knock knock in those two field goals calmly is just a great close to his career. And and you know with, without those made field goals, if both missed, then geez, we're staring at a twenty-seven nothing game. But I mean, either way, special teams, great job, defense. I mean, you got to tip your cap and say, man, they, they did about as well as they could. And Sauce Gardner is, is an absolute stud. Darian Beavers, stud. Maje Sanders won himself a lot of money on in that game on Friday. I, I mean, you take away those two, you can't be – you can't ask for much more. Sure, the rushing yards are something that you're going to point out for the defense, but you can't be much more proud of the way that the special teams and the defense were able to play. Yeah, I mean, special teams did everything right. I mean, there's I don't know that you can really knock anything um, on on special teams really anywhere. I mean, they got the tackling done. I, I, Alabama got nothing in the return game. Um, you, you mentioned Cole Smith. You mentioned the rake. I mean, they all just went out there and did the damn thing. I mean, they put Jamison Williams back to return a kickoff. He took it out of the end zone, and Van Fossen Lit him smoked up. him at the 15. Put him in, he, they put him in the injury tent. Yeah. He yeah. immediately had to go to the tent. He got smoked by Sauce, too. Yeah. Yeah, on that little little out pattern. I, you well, know, I, I did want to clear something up. I, I, I've seen people compl- are asking, and this will be in the mailbag, but let's get to it now. Um, why didn't Sauce travel with him the whole game? Oh, he absolutely did when they were in man. But they played some zone. I think it was 15, 20% somewhere in that that, that, mm-hmm. that they did play. 
uh, some zone look, and and you don't travel with the receiver when you're in zone. You, you're playing zone. Right. Um, and then Saban did a couple things where with motion, the motion created a shift in the man, and they got Williams on to Beavers at a time, and then I think they got him on uh, either Hicks or Cook at one point where he made a catch uh, yeah. on third down. But when UC was in straight man – and they like sauce traveled with him quite a bit. Um, so that's look, man, one catch, two targets, one catch, negative two yards in the snaps that that sauce is on JMO. That's elite, elite. Yeah. PFF just released their wide receiver grades. Jamison Williams is number two, uh, draft prospect at wide receiver. And Sauce said, nah, man, not, not this way, not this way. Well, yeah. And, and a lot of my friend groups who, you know, are UC haters at times because they're all Notre Dame fans, but even they were texting saying sauce is the real deal. This, this guy belongs. He is an absolute stud. And I still don't know how he's not considered a top 10 pick. Right? No, I agree. I, I think maybe the measurables when they when they finally do see oh wow he did pack on some some real muscle you know I, see that Todd that's some dumb shit that's some dumb shit Todd they threw twenty eight times they threw twenty eight times if they didn't think they needed to pass why did they throw twenty eight times they obviously felt they needed to pass they just couldn't do it they had to turn to the run game and and I, I thought I thought my analogy was perfect Nick and Saban. Also- I'm, I'm sorry, not just, done talking yet, son well, of a I, It just it, it pertains to this because they also couldn't throw it to Kobe. Right. So it wasn't just sauce. It was the fact that you had Kobe as well. It wasn't like Kobe was getting picked on here. Um, you know, They did some picking on. It just wasn't on either of those two outside guys. If they didn't need to, why did they? They threw 28 times. Clearly, they felt they needed to. I mean, that's what they've done all season. Um, that's why, I mean, Brian Robinson Jr. is still, he's a very good player, but he didn't put up the crazy Buku stats because they had a, a record setter at quarterback and the Heisman winner, and then they had a, a plethora of, of wide receivers on the outside with it. But, I, I mean, as well, I'm sure they adjusted game plans with, you know, the injury well, to Mechie. And, of and course, of that and, and, and you know what they did? It's an ode to Madden. I, I think I mentioned this on the, the, the nightcap last night. In an ode to Madden, they ran the Tulsa playbook with the Alabama players. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that That's that's what Saban did. They ran the Tulsa playbook with the Alabama players, and it was effective. I mean, but if you're Cincinnati, that's what you want Alabama to do. You want them to have to go on long, sustained drives where they right. constantly have to convert third downs. The, the biggest problem was – um. But I thought a lot of it, like one of the major problems, they had what four third and longs that ended up getting converted. Yeah, that third was and the fourteen, biggest, third and thirteen, third and sixteen. And those are passes. And, and, well, they had one. I think that they had one that was they got it to fourth down and then converted on fourth down. Right? They got it to fourth yeah. short. They, they passed it to JMO. It was yeah. like a thirteen yard gain on on third and fourteen. Which, yeah. I mean. That's that's where Cincinnati normally was was pretty solid, um, but like you said, this is a different level of a team, and, and I'm sick of hearing 
people say that this is like a down Alabama year. This is a down Alabama team. I, I mean, they're the favorite to win the national championship. So, no, they're not. I mean, well, okay. The number one team in the country. Yes. Yeah, but Georgia's, I think Georgia's minus two. Okay. But it's, it's just, conversions, five of 13, but I think four of the five were third and long, like right. dagger, where it's just like, if you can just get off the field, but you're two of 12 on third down, oh, three on fourth down, you're not beating Alabama. Like, let's, let's get down to the, the, the real reason they, they didn't make that more of a game. Nobody made plays. No, nobody stepped up on offense and made a play. And, you know, you had Alec Pierce had the ball go through his hands on the, the second goal to go on the opening drive. You had Trey Tucker. Had, that was a really tough pass. catch, though. But it, Brent, if place, you want to beat – why know, Why did the Bengals beat Kansas City yesterday? Because Jamar Chase said, I'm not fucking losing. Right. No, I like that, if you're going to beat Alabama, guys have to make great plays. That's not a referendum on Alec Pierce that he sucks because he didn't make that catch. It's the right. reality that if you're going to beat Alabama, dudes have to be that. at their top. Yeah. Alec Pierce had a touchdown pass go through his hands. Des had one with Pierce wide open that he he, he had batted away the play before. Yep, right, Trey right Tucker the line. had one go through his hands. Yep, in the end zone, yep. They have a muffed punt. That we'll they didn't that. get that would have given them the ball at the nine yard line. Going they don't to get time, it. 10, 10. And guess what? Alabama goes right down the field and scores. Right. They they get an interception from Brian Cook at the 50 or 49 yard line. They go backwards 17 yards yeah. and punt. You're not beating Bama if nobody makes a play and nobody offensively made a play. So, so do you think that it's like the reasoning why uh, let's, let's talk about the offense because we're on that topic right now. The, it seemed as if they didn't really try any deep shots. We heard <laughs> you, you need time to try deep shots. Like, right. No, 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 I know. I know. But I'm just saying it's, it's just like they, they had the one that they completed to Michael Young and Outside of that, it just seemed, yeah, sure. The time, the, the time was definitely a big factor, and I mean, I thought it was funny at the end of the first half when they called that timeout with the second left, and I think half of it was Luke just kind of you know messing with Saban on on top of just one more deep shot. No, that made zone. perfect sense because it, no, it did. Yes, but know, you, if, if Alabama's going to be willing, I thought Bama was going to call a timeout and try to get the ball back. Yeah, right. And so, and Bama decided to let the clock run out. Hell yeah, they were at the 44, 45. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was well within Dez's range to chuck one down there. Yeah. And and see what happened. But Will Anderson said, nah, no, no. And on no, the no. and on the play right before that, Lawrence Metz sacked sacked Dez too. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it seemed as if the offense, I you know, all season we mentioned how the team hasn't put together a four quarter game or, you know, that the SMU game was probably the closest thing to a four quarter. They, they played to their max potential offense, defense, special teams, but I, this game just never had that little, little push by the offense, never had that, that spark. And yeah, it, it definitely, you, you can point to different things as far as players need to make plays 
And then you can also look at as well as on a fourth and four, you're you're doing a play action fake with a with a team that is big time pass rushing and pinning their ears back, knowing you're going to be throwing the football. That was um, they actually tried to run a variation of the tight end flat play, right? With the tight end releasing downfield while he was wide open. It was wide open, but it was like uh, you might be too young for this, Brent. It was like Tech Mobile. When you called the exact right defense for the the offense that was called, and all the dudes were in the backfield at the snap, like waiting to just murder the quarterback, as soon as soon as they snapped that ball, Bama had four guys there waiting for Des. Like, oh, we gonna get you now, Mayor boy. Look mighty cute in them jeans. Like it was, it, it was, it was Tech Mobile. Like I had an absolute Tech Mobile flashback. Man, I you know, and and of course, I I also think. I'm with the crowd that if people are saying it, roll Des out a little bit more. Um, you know, take 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 him away from because when he was in the pocket and he had some time, he was, the ball would get batted down at the line of scrimmage almost every single time. Um, don't know exactly if that was a thing to keep him in the pocket and just try and buy extra time and, and find those quick routes that he's usually really efficient at, or if you know they were afraid to roll out because of the you know the athleticism and the talent of, of the defensive ends and then of course if if a spy is there crashing down quickly on Dez but I felt like they could have rolled out a little bit more. Um they rolled out once and he still got the ball batted down. <laughs> I, I, I mean this team is good. That was, was good. Those, when we talk about you give Saban a month. Yeah. You're gonna pick apart all of your tendencies. Right. Every time Des went to throw short and right, that defensive lineman was standing there just waiting to put his hands up. I think it was six. It was Correct incredible. Me. Six passes Correct. knocked down. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he only had three all season going into this game. It wasn't many, but man, Saban saw something on tape because they were wait. If you watch on the balls he had batted down, I think all but one, the dude didn't even move. He just yeah. stood there and played patty cake with the offensive lineman. And then as soon as Des went to throw, got the hands up and blocked it. Like it, it was, it was something Alabama had been preparing for right. the entire time. And no, Ed, that was not sling blade. That was Eddie Murphy. Hey boy, look at my cute in them jeans doing a Mr. T impersonation. <laughs> so, well, okay. Are, are you guys thinking that it's kind of on the offensive line to make sure that those balls don't get batted by, you know, sustaining that block or or may, maybe putting a little bit more pressure on the block when they feel that maybe the defender is going to try and do that and just get a get a hand on the ball or I don't know it just just seemed as if there was no adjustment to the fact that they were trying to bat every ball at the line of scrimmage uh, you know and, and of course that that opening offensive drive are you going to let us answer the question you moved on before you even let us answer Oh no! You I was talking about the biggest. Talking about something else. <laughs> well, I was talking about the biggest batted ball in my in my eyes is was that opening drive offense, and Saban called the timeout. You know when it when it's first and goal for the Bearcats, and then that's when you re- you saw that first batted ball with with Alec Pierce wide open in the end zone. Is, I mean, would you say it's on the offensive line a little bit? Is it more on Des needing to maybe I, I don't know. It's just. It's a weird well, thing. at that point, we didn't thinking. know that that was going to be like an entire part of Alabama's game plan. It was the first one. Yeah, right. 
Um, I mean, it is on the offensive line to an extent to do a better job staying engaged. But mm-hmm. I think at that point, like you, it, it, it takes you by surprise initially because the D lineman didn't try to get upfield, didn't try to do anything. He just yeah. basically stood there. And then as soon as Dez went to throw, he got his hands up. Like, but yeah, you have to be better as an offensive lineman getting your hands on, on the, the, the guy instead of just letting them stand there and, you know, take aim. Right. I don't know. I think it's a, it's a combination of things. You, you see that this is happening. I think that you can try and design plays or, or call plays to try and work around that. Um, it's on the quarterback for not reading the defense at times. There, there was, there was clearly a tell. Something that they did told that Alabama defense when Des was going to go short and right because yeah. they were ready for it every time. Did they complete a pass short and right the whole game? And that's like the, one of their bread and butters, those quick slants to Pierce or those, those dig routes, you know, that, that are, you know, seven, eight yards. And Alabama was ready for it every time. Somehow, either how an offensive lineman was aligned or a formation – Something Alabama scouted told them that this is when, this is when they're going short and right because they they were ready for it, ready for it every time UC did it. I'm I'm gonna bring Todd's question up here because I agree with him. Um, it, it it was what Pete Thamel was mentioning. You know, Dave Simone mentioned it on the BCJ pod as well. Uh, the fact about you know Desmond Ritter running the football more. Um, there weren't many if. Any designed runs, maybe one or two throughout the game. I think he had a, a scramble here or there, but were you guys surprised that they didn't kind of have that Des with the mobility, especially with with the past, uh, you know, lack of success that Alabama has had against mobile quarterbacks? I don't know. Little. I mean, go ahead. Aaron. Right. No, you're good. Chad and I was going to say Chad and Dave talked about it, that we almost needed to have a poor man's Vince Young out there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, get, he needed to have 75 yards if you were going to win this game right. um, on, just with his legs. And I was, I surprised. Absolutely. I was surprised. I thought that this was what they were waiting for all season long was they weren't running Des because a, you didn't want to get him injured before you were at this position mm-hmm. and B now you have some wrinkles to throw at a team that you haven't shown all year long with this particular offense this year. So I was absolutely surprised we didn't see Des run a little bit more. But then if you go back and look at the tape, I mean, where were you going to run? Yeah. Well, Jerome Ford had 5.1 yards for carry. Like, Jerome was really good when they gave him the ball. Yeah. Yep. Against the Bama defense, that averages 2.4 yards a carry. Like, yep. Jerome was the one kind of consistent pulse that they had on offense. So why not play off of that with some RPOs? Why not yeah. at least try it? I mean, I guess the problem is Bama's just so fast to the edges. They are. And they're so disciplined that, I mean, I didn't see DNs crashing down uh, on Ford because they didn't, they didn't really have to. Right. Because there was always a linebacker. Like, there were three runs where Ford got through the line of scrimmage like we see where he normally breaks it off for a big play. Yep. And there was a linebacker waiting for him at five yards. Man, he, he almost had that one, though. He almost he got his foot that. out of it. Oof. But yeah. there was a linebacker there waiting. There was somebody waiting for him. He just yeah. almost escaped it. Right. Man. I, and, and a quick talk about Jerome. Uh, obviously, he what, about an hour before we hopped on, he did announce he will be heading to the NFL draft. Congratulations, Jerome. Um, 
And I think Jerome has a really good shot to land on an NFL team. And he's going to be a very good NFL back. It might be as a number two for a while before he he earns that spot or earns a shot. Mm -hmm. But Jerome is going to be at some point in his NFL career, starting NFL back. And he's going to run that 40 at the combine. Yeah. And, and people are going to be like, wow. Yep. Okay. We got to get our, get our hands on this guy. He, he, he showed throughout the year as well that he can also catch the ball out of the backfield a good amount. So, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be a really good player. Um, He was by far their best offensive player on Friday by far. Yeah. Yeah. I agree completely. Um, another thing about their, their defensive line, if, cause I watched a little bit of, I, I, I hate, I, I go into a shell after big games like this, if, if the outcome is not what, what needs to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was in my shell. I finally was able to watch some highlights today and man, their, their defensive line d- does some crazy different moves and, and stunts and, I, like it, it's got to be tough for an opposing offensive line to really track down some of these high athletes. That you know, one one play, I I think they had the defensive end go all the way into the center, and then that the defensive tackle looped around and like snuck in. Tunstall had no idea where anyone was. He was kind of just tossed around in a washing machine. That was one of the plays that Des got sacked for for a big loss. So, I mean, that defensive line, and like you said, three three weeks of preparation and the ability to then just say, Hey, they've struggled with stunts that, you know, Tunstall is he's, I think he's gotten better as the year progresses, but I mean, you, he's tough to, to kind of be that liability going one-on-one. Um, I thought O'Quinn and Mets did a really good job. Um, Renfro is going to be just a staple. Of course, I, man, it's just, it's tough. Will Anderson. Athletes. Yeah. Will Anderson. I mean, Will Anderson, like that. O'Quinn at times had no shot on him. And that's, right. that's the case with everybody that's, that's played tackle against Will Anderson this year. That's no knock on O'Quinn. Uh, that dude just, I, I said it before the game. I said it on the, the BCJ pod. I think Dave agreed with me. He's the best player in college football this year. Yeah. Oh, I think a lot of people would agree with that. No doubt. Like the fact that he wasn't in New York for the Heisman was criminal. But then he finished like in the top five or four. He was fifth, and they only invited four. Right, right, right. He was the best player in college football this year, and that showed on Friday. He was when they needed him to be unblockable. He was unblockable. Yeah, exactly, and and especially when he he does that thing where he gets upfield so fast, but his reaction to be able to cut back. Yeah, and, and, and attack the quarterback is just like it's. I mean, you saw it on the one final play where Des was going to heave a hail mary. The the second that Des stepped up in that pocket, there was no chance that he was going to be able to get the ball off. Yeah, no, no chance at all. And well, and, because he thought Anderson was going upfield. Yeah, exactly. And, he well, thought and, there was going to be room to step up, but Anderson's just got that innate ability to change direction mm-hmm. that somebody at that size should not have, no. like. You should not be allowed to be that big and be able to move like that kid moves. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, you know, it's, it's uh, something else to point out that the fact is Will Anderson and Bryce Young could probably be the two Heisman favorites heading into next season. Um, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that on top of the fact that the two teams playing in – 
the national championship on Monday, next Monday is going to be, you know, the last two teams that Cincinnati lost to. And it's just all those different things added together. And it, it, it kind of, no one really talks about that outside of, you know, the Cincinnati loyalist because it's, it's just all the, the G five had their shot and they didn't, they didn't show what they could do. And I don't know. I'm, I'm sick of hearing about that because the second that you saw Michigan getting thumped by Georgia, it was like, okay, people slowed their role a little bit about Cincinnati not belonging. But I think if you watch that game defensively, you can make a good case that, that Cincinnati 100% belonged there. Brent, they just moved the goalposts on it. They said, yeah. well, at least Michigan scored a touchdown. Cincinnati right. didn't score a touchdown. Yeah. So Michigan scored a touchdown with, what, four minutes left? Yeah. yeah. With, when that game was extremely out of reach is when they finally were able to score a touchdown. But, man. I don't know. It, it just Todd, why do you keep repeating Bama is the better team? Who has said Bama wasn't the better team? <laughs> you know, were you guys hoping that and, and it, it probably was a game situation where they never really had a chance to? Um, I would have liked to have seen some sort of a trick play. Something like you know, it's it's not bad to try something trick wise, you know. Um and I just, I, just, I don't know. Just to make you feel better? No, to try and get a big gainer because nothing else is working. I don't know. It just, just you know what like trick, was... you know what, you know what the problem with trick plays are? They time. are notoriously slow developing. Right. And right. there were what, six sacks and eight quarterback hurries? Yeah. And six balls batted at the line of scrimmage. Doing something that takes a lot of time to develop, probably not a great idea against Alabama. Okay, well then you lose 6 yards on the attempted trick play, but if you're able to get it off then there's there's maybe a possibility for something big, but well, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I think the game really came down to when nobody the ball, made a play. The, the ball didn't bounce UC's way in the opportunities that they did have. You know, you had the muff punt and Alabama recovers rather than Cincinnati getting the ball at the 6-yard line. If they get that ball that everything changes. You had, you know, the Alec Pierce, either one of those touchdown passes um, where the he batted was, balls. It's it's hard to bat balls at the line of scrimmage. Which it's crazy that there were that many bat, batted balls in any game, much I mean, less at this level. But again, I, I think that goes back to there, there was a tell, I, right? They, yeah, they found something. It, it was like a pitcher tipping pitches. They knew when Des was going short right. They they absolutely one hundred percent knew that they were throwing the curveball. Or the, the change up, or what? Like a, there was a clear tell, mm-hmm. clear. I mean, it's it's sad um, because it it kind of hit me. Uh, I mean, I still thought they had the chance. Like even that interception by Brian Cook, I was like, gosh, mm-hmm. if if Cook would have just stayed on his feet, you know, I, and he had to go to the ground to make the interception. I, I mean, I like watched the replay. Yes, he did. No, I, I understand what you're saying, but. It, it looked like he might have had the chance to maybe possibly save his feet, but it, but but it's a game of inches, like like Aaron said, the things that didn't go their way. If, if that ball was you know one foot further, then Cook standing up and he's catching that on the run. It, you know, it's just so many different things just did not bounce their way. Like muff punts, we've had muff punts all season, and the Bearcats have recovered pretty much every single one of them. But in the game where it mattered the most, they didn't, and it resulted in a touchdown for Alabama. I I, I truly think. Cincinnati gets that muff punt. 
it's 10-10 heading into the locker room. If they're able to punch it into the end zone. And Cincinnati has the momentum. And Cincinnati Even has at momentum. 10-6. 10-6. And they get the ball back to start the second half. Yeah, it's just the small things that have gone their way throughout the season. You know, it just did not go their way. Those things don't go your way against Alabama, man. Like, that. that's that's why they're Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. I know. You know, I I think uh, just – the, the whole game, like the, the funniest take that I've seen is that Denbrock was already checked out. He was already on his way to LSU. He didn't care about this game. And I just think that's such a tired take. Yeah. It's lazy. And there's no way in hell anyone on that coaching staff mm-hmm. wasn't all the way into this game. If he right. wasn't into this game, he would have been gone already. How the- how good does the offense look if if they score that first touchdown? or Trey Tucker catches that ball at the pylon. Like, all of a sudden you're going from, oh, the offense, is, the offense sucked, coordinator sucked, to, uh, wow, Cincinnati's making some plays on this Alabama defense. Nobody made a play. Of course your offense is going to look crappy when you don't have – like, what did we say? Des needed to be great. He wasn't great. Des will tell you he wasn't great in that game. Yeah. You know, it's 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 also a thing where you see the the scripted scripted plays for both teams. You know, you you have that opening series, and and the scripted plays are are when you're going to be able to try and move the football, and you're going to really do, you know, what you've been practicing all month pretty much up to this point. And Cincinnati did a really good job with their scripted plays in that opening drive. Uh, you know, Michael Young was a shoestring away from an additional. 10, 12 yards. Tyler Scott was making big time moves, you know, and then after that is when you kind of adjust and go from there. Um, one thing I didn't love is, you know, Wiley had what one target at the end of at in the fourth quarter or third quarter, end of the third. I don't know exactly the time. I, when you have a player of his caliber, I don't know. I would want to see a force. Maybe some of those plays, you know, that were getting batted down were attempted for him or, or different things of that sort. But I just thought, Wiley was was a little underutilized, um, and then I don't know. It's 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 hard to really nitpick, but I just wanted to see a little bit more more flair. And it's hard to do against that that pass rush. Hard to do against those those athletes. I I understand that part, but man, like you've got a you've got a weapon in Desmond Ritter who who can run the ball. I, I mean, it's it's like we didn't really have that weapon this season. Um, and in the biggest game, it says he rushed 10 times. Does that include the six sacks or is that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, four, included in that. four rushes and that's it. Um, and, and one of the rushes, he, he was able to pick up, what, 11 yards? Another one went went for nine. When, when he did tuck and run, he was picking up positive yard. So, I don't know. We could go on and on about this daggone game. But anyway, final result was uh, – 27 to six. And I think that's, it's one of those games where the scoreboard is indicative of the game. Um, you know, you could say, sure, you know, Bama out, outgained Cincinnati by a bunch, this, that, and the other. But I think the score is very indicative of how the game went. Uh, and hat, hat tip to, uh, to Mason Fletcher, to, to all the seniors and everyone involved. A big, big thank you to what they've been able to do. But anything more on this game, guys, we could, we could go. Till our knuckles are, are bleeding on this one, but it's not always the best team. It's the team that plays the best. 
Oh, Luke. As as Luke says a lot. <laughs> well, Alabama was the best team, and they played the best. They did. And as a result, Cincinnati lost by three touchdowns. So, yeah. yeah. Anything on this close, Aaron? It was a hell of a ride. They made history getting to the finish line. Um, unfortunately, that finish line wasn't where we wanted it to end. Um, but I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't change anything. It was, it is what it is. I mean, I, it's I'd an change unbelievable it. season. It was, it, it was. was history. It was, you know, living the dream, if you will. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what this season was. And uh, they gave us a hell of a ride. They, they gave us a senior class that we'll be talking about as the best team in school history for a long, long time. Yep. Um, I know. People... Go, Aaron. Well, Go ahead, Aaron. A, there was a pause. I was trying to get it in. You said and after I started talking. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say Nick Saban, you know, he tipped his cap to the team and said that they belong there. And I know people had tried to say that that was political speech or coach talk or whatever, but I, I disagree. I, I think he truly actually believed that they did give the, him everything that they could throw at him. And I think he, in his heart of hearts, believes that they belong there as well. Yeah. Um, it was awesome. It was an awesome ride. And I think the thing that made it next level was not only was the talent on the field, the, the coaching staff, everyone involved was, was awesome within the program. But boy, the fans came along with it this year, and it's it's just that was one thing you you heard Luke mentioned it in the post game how you know he doesn't really like to to kind of admire the the fans there or whatnot, but he said he couldn't help himself you know in the beginning of the game when you know or, or before the game he he looked up in the stands a little bit and he's just you know it's it's just awesome to see that amount of support and I I don't think the support will dwindle I think it's something that is here to stay. And it's something that, as things continue to go on, we'll see who exactly is able to kind of write, you know, take leadership with all these senior leaders out of the way. Um, man, Dallas was Dallas was a scene. It was a Bearcat scene, and sadly, the game didn't go our way. But you know, it's it's, it's building blocks to making the program a top ten program. So it's it's good. Um, that that's the thing, right? Like. You have to remember that when compared to the Alabamas and the Ohio States and the Oklahomas, this program as an elite program is still very much in its infancy. Mm -hmm. It's still very much in the early stages of its ascent to the top of the the college football uh, landscape. So while it was, while it was frustrating, the experience itself was amazing yeah and that's something no one can ever take away right like Mm -hmm. that's something that we all get to keep i get to keep that memory of of you know the car ride back there and back with my dad and having my daughter there and um getting to walk around and experience the tailgate with them and them getting to watch you know the game and and that stuff, those memories, they're not going away. Like you get to keep those, they, they put them in the bank because, because we got, we got there yeah. and we, we got to, as a fan base experience, what this was like. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, with look, the 12 team playoffs coming. This is not the last time Cincinnati's going to be in the playoff. No, it's not. So now we, now we got our appetite wet, right? We we had a couple BCS bowls. Now we've got a college football semifinal. Now we need to to win one of these damn things, right? Yeah. (laughs) That's where we're at. I mean, you look back what in, in 2019, the team, you know, makes it to the AAC championship game, lose to Memphis, and you know, Luke Luke went from wanting to compete for championships to wanting to win championships. They won championships the next two seasons. And then all of a sudden this new wrinkle is added in where you are the cream of the crop. And the fact that they didn't pull that game out, the fact that that is still a burning thing inside of him, I I, I guarantee you it'll be nothing but a big boost to making this program as great as it can be and building it into that top 10 program. And I think they're it, it's 100% on the rise. And you look at all these new players that are coming up. Let's We'll move on to the future now. All these new players that are coming up, they're all highly rated players. These are all players from the back-to-back-to-back highest-rated classes in program history. These are guys that are learning under the tutelage of, of the best team ever the best senior class they're they've already added a a strong transfer who has a direct tie to Cincinnati this is this is something that is going to continue to get better now all these young players all these young former four stars and high three stars now get the chance to go out there and know that this is their time to shine their time to carry on what this crazy senior class was able to do so I mean the, the future is bright and now it's here and and we've We've touched on it a little bit here and there, but now it, it is full on site. Um, I guess we could just touch on the Denbrock situation. It turned out that uh, PFT commenter's dog was right the whole time. I, you know, hats off to him, man. It's, Go it's, Leroy. All right. Yeah. Yeah. From the heavens. Whew. But Denbrock is down there. I, and you know what? I wish him luck. And it's, it's just, he, he's a great guy. People, people give him a lot of, you know, crap, but, he, he was a great guy, you know, obviously uh, someone who treated all of us really well. Chad treated you really well. You know, in, in, in the games that, that you weren't at, Chad, he, w- he would always come over and just ask me, how's Chad doing? How's the family doing? This, that, and the other. He, he's just a genuine great guy. Um, Love Mike. Love Mike. Yeah. He was great yeah. to us. Yeah, he was. But now it's a next man up type ordeal. Um, obviously, the name that is the, the top of the food chain for everyone is, is Gina Gadouli, you know. Not move moving down a couple, what rooms in the office or whatnot. So, I, I think they'll do a search. I don't think it'll be just like simply cut and dry. But I would, right. I would still be pretty surprised if it's not Gino. Like it, it's he's been groomed for this. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been part of the decision making process, part of the game planning process for a long time in that offensive room. Um, I just think, you know, if you're planning on Gino Gadouli being part of this program for longer than, what, two weeks, <laughs> then, then he's going to be the offensive coordinator. If you bring somebody in over the top, I think you have to be very concerned about Gino exiting stage left. You might be looking for a new quarterback's coach. Right. So uh, I, I just think, you know, the reality is Gino is, is the logical choice to elevate and uh, see where it goes from there. So obviously 
none of us can really nitpick what his offense is going to be, but uh, someone that back in the day was a was a gunslinger wants to you know who who knows if that will be something that he brings in. I'm sure Luke is is still going to be the one kind of letting him know the the path that he wants his, his team to go for, go on. But I mean, I think it'd be exciting to see a new flair, a new you know someone who is has had a lot of success throwing the football, running an offense. Controlling a quarterback room that was probably the strongest it's ever been. Uh, well, one of the strongest it's been, you know, the past few years. Uh, but I don't know. We'll see what Gino has if, if he does get the job. But I think it's, it's going to be a fun ride if he's able to get the uh, get the reins. Yeah. Agreed completely. Next up, we mentioned Brian Mason a little bit. There's nothing official on that. Tom Loy was reporting that he's going to be – in, in the conversation for special teams coordinator, and of course, in the same article, you, you have multiple mentions of other Cincinnati court coaches for the defensive coordinator role, which is, I don't know, the uh, stepping stone to, to Notre Dame. I, I, I don't understand it. But anyway, um, what kind of is your guys' biggest thing that you want, that your biggest storyline, if you will, early in the offseason? Um, is it coaching moves? Is it who they add late? whether it be through the transfer portal or through recruiting, is it going to be, you know, who, who you hear are some players that are starting to assume more of a leadership role on the team. Kind of, kind of what's your biggest storyline that you guys are looking forward to as the, as the off season, it comes real, real quick. It's, it's here now and they're, they're making moves already. Well, for me, it's going to be what the ones and twos look like next year, because mm-hmm. I don't know that. I, 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 I think you may see some of these, kids from this newest class come in and earn some of those spots and in, in maybe the twos. I don't know that you're necessarily going to see anybody in the ones, but I think there's definitely some spots in the ones that can be had by players that maybe the casual UC fan this year, they don't know their names. Um, you know, if they haven't been following along with recruiting and what have you over the last couple of years. Um, I, I just think that I don't even know that we necessarily have everybody on the roster as it currently stands that, is going to be on the ones and twos next year as there's still some room for, for transfers, as you kind of alluded to. Uh, we saw one today in Ivan Pace. So um, we'll see. Uh, that I think that, to me, is the most interesting storyline, even more so than the coaching carousel that is starting. Ask me next week. Oh. <laughs> Ask me next week. Watch out, boys. Watch out, boys. So... Talk about Ivan Pace a little bit, man. Um, a player who obviously went to Miami, uh, really starred at Miami. Wanted to come to UC. UC wanted him to be a walk-on. Yeah. And, and earn a spot. Um, I think a lot of that was in relation to, at that point in time, they really wanted to be bigger at those middle and weak side linebacker spots. Right. right. They, uh, Brian Young. And Darian Beavers and Joel DeBlanco and Wilson Huber and Jaheen Thomas coming up next. Like you see that size that they were looking for in those middle and outside linebacker spots. But let's not forget, they had a lot of success with Perry Young playing linebacker. They had a lot of success with Jarrell White playing linebacker. A smaller linebacker, it's not unheard of for a smaller linebacker to have worked well 
uh, under Luke Fickle since he's been at Cincinnati. So I know what their prototype is. I know they like the length. They like the the athleticism and the size of those bigger guys. But if you watch Ivan Pace, much like Deshaun, he makes plays. Yeah. yeah. 125 Which, tackles this year. He know, He's got a nose for the football. And, and uh, I, I think that is going to be something that's going to be interesting uh, as we get into uh, the offseason. And, and a definite sack artist, too, is his true freshman year. I, I I don't remember how many sacks he racked up, but he, he can really six in a game. Yeah, six in one game. Tied the NCAA record. Can get after the quarterback. And, and you know, he's he's one of those players as well that continues to, to, to carry that torch of the of the quote-unquote hometown hero. Um, a, a player who went elsewhere, found found success there, uh, built his, his reputation up a lot. I, you know, you can tell a lot about a player from his offers as well. I, I'm a big offer guy. And, and you saw him getting offers from, you know, Miami. LSU. You, LSU. Uh, you know, it's just. This, Missouri, this guy, Arkansas. Missouri, Kansas State, Arkansas. Yeah. It, it just was. He, he was slowly b- blowing up. If you yes. He has one year and a COVID year. So he played three years at Miami. He didn't redshirt. So he's got three years of experience on the field. Uh, he has one year of regular eligibility remaining. Mm-hmm. And if he so desired, he would have a COVID year. Yeah. And, well, and Those then, are the offers that we were talking about, Jeff. The, the, the out of the portal offers were yeah. LSU, Miami, Missouri, Arkansas, Kansas State. And then you look at as well the fact that a lot of players, and, and you know, it's all speculation and, and whatnot. You, you can't draw any conclusions from it. But you see a lot of players who are from Cincinnati who are, you know, commenting constantly about, hey, going back home, you know, best of luck, like, like shout out, you know. And who knows if if the floodgates open up or some something like that. It, it, it just is it's another example of the coaching staff realizing that the, the talent around the area is it's, it's bar none. It's it's at the top. With, with some of the other recru- recruiting hubs around the country. So, I mean, when they're able to, to locate a player who has ties to the city, has ties to the team, obviously, and bring them back, it could only bode well for other players to be like, wow, yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound half bad to, to go back home and, and make something happen. I'm not pointing out anything at all. I'm just a little simple observation that I made. But outside of that, I'm Pace, big-time addition. Uh, Chad said, talk to you next week about how his feelings are for the offseason. So cannot wait for that. A little uh, national championship pregame talk about it next week. But I don't know. It's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, especially spring ball, as we've mentioned numerous times. Um, and we'll we'll see how the uh, roster shakes out. But, you know, one one thing I love is is when you see the underclassmen take, take to social media and just say, like, we're up next. Time is now. You know, they they know that it's time for them to step up and continue doing what they do. So I'm excited. Excited to see what can happen next. You know what I'm not excited What's about? <clears throat> Seeing somebody else play boundary corner. Because, <laughs> look, I'm, I'm going to say it definitively. I'm going to say it with my chest. Yeah. Ahmad Gardner is the best player, football player, to ever play football at UC. Yeah. I think it's accurate. The most dominant player 
to play football at UC ever is Ahmad Gardner. He shut down an entire side of the field for two and a half seasons. To the point, by year three, nobody even tested him. Nick Saban was like, eh, we're going we're gonna to do it a different way. <laughs> they threw at him when Sauce was on JMO. They threw at him twice. Yeah. That's the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback and one of the top two, if not the top, wide receivers in college football. Ahmad Gardner was on him. Like, now nah, we're cool. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do some other stuff. We're gonna throw to these other guys. Or we're gonna do everything we can schematically to keep Gardner away from being on Jamison Williams. Yeah. And the one time they tested him, he caught a flat a, a, a ball in the flat and sauce hit him right in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Right in the mouth. I mean, so taking away the one game against Auburn when JMO was was you know thrown out due to a targeting penalty. Yeah. Six catches, 123 yards against Tennessee, 10 catches, 160 and a touchdown against LSU. Six catches, 158 three touchdowns against New Mexico State. Eight catches, 190 yards and three touchdowns in a close game against Arkansas. <laughs> He's pretty good. Seven catches, 184 yards and two touchdowns against the best defense in the country, Georgia, in the SEC championship game. Seven catches, 62 yards, zero touchdowns against Cincinnati. Incredible. Uh, Is Caleb Williams a pipe dream? Yes, Caleb Williams is not going to Cincinnati. (laughs) Uh, Todd said he's going to USC. That would be my uh, belief as well. Let's put it this way. Lincoln Riley, the quarterback whisperer, right? Yeah. He got the USC job and has not actively tried to get any other quarterbacks since he got Mm -hmm. the job. What does that tell you? (laughs) What does that tell you? And then Caleb Williams hits the portal and says he wants to go somewhere that to play for a coach that will develop him for the NFL. Uh, That's kind of like what Lincoln Riley does in his sleep is develop quarterbacks for the NFL. Um, retire Sauce's number. Which one? He was 12 more than he was one. I'm not retiring one. I don't think you can. I, I, you know, too many that's guys a, want one. It's an earned number, not yeah. not the number that you retire. I agree. Um, you'll, you'll see Sauce in the ring of honor. Absolutely. I, I, UC doesn't retire numbers in football. They put you in the ring of honor. Um, you'll see Dez in the ring of honor. Uh, with Kobe, I, I think it's possible now. He won, He's the first position player to win, like, a national award, like the Thorpe Award. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think I think you'll probably see seven up there as well. You don't, you don't retire number one, period. Guys want to wear number one. Guy, like, that's a – no. You're not retiring number one. No, 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 no. And the reality is UC doesn't really retire numbers. So you're you're not retiring anything. You're putting them in the ring of honor. Uh, And eventually, Ahmad Sauce Gardner will be in the University of Cincinnati Athletics Hall of Fame, as will Dez, probably as will Kobe. And 
uh, probably as will the entire. We saw him put the the entire 2009 team in. Yeah, the entire 2021 Cincinnati Bearcat football team at some point will be mm-hmm. uh, in the Hall of Fame at UC. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Ah, man, it was it was a fun ride, man. It was. That was. Awesome. I, you awesome. know, I, I. Was in Ireland. It, it's so crazy to think about how, how long the season is. I was in Ireland for the first two games, but yeah, I was in the hospital because Kelly tried to die. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> she tried to die. <laughs> that that was the Miami game. That was the start of this season. Right, we're in a new house. Like Kelly's not dead anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I mean. It, it, it's a season I will never forget. No. A season I will, for many, many, many reasons, but mainly uh, because Kelly tried to die and two, because it was the best team to cover uh, in program history. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and, and then road trips to, I mean, I, I traveled a lot with them, but I mean, road trips to South Florida, road trips to Tulane, you know, and, and you're seeing just, just UC fans flooding it just everywhere. And I mean, it's just a fun, fun ride. And, and one that I don't think is going to end anytime soon. I think uh, the momentum is up. Uh, it, it felt, you know, it sucked. It felt like the, the wind was taken out of the sails a little bit during that game. Just kind of because it was not, not too much flair. A couple of big plays here and there. But still, take that game away. Momentum is still heading in a, in a full steam ahead, full, full steam ahead. For so, sure. So thank you to all the seniors. Thank you to everyone involved. Um, it was a, it was a fun, fun ride, man. Really fun. So, well, what are we thinking, guys? Uh, do we talk about basketball a little bit? I mean, do we want to? Probably not. <laughs> but... Do we need to? Yeah. Being that this is a podcast where we talk about the things that are happening in UC athletics. Yeah, we probably need to. Okay. You guys, man, I was, okay, 75% from three in the first half. Tulane, man. Tulane was red hot. Red, red hot. And when, when this team digs themselves in that big of a hole, it's hard to, to muster up the offensive firepower to be able to come back. Um, I think that's got to be just kind of the essence of, of, of that tough loss, especially at home with, with more time off. I, I mean, you're looking at a 68-60 to 60 loss to Tulane. Um, Tulane did just beat Memphis earlier in the week, but they scored 48 points. In the first half, I mean, I, I don't know what's uh, what's your guys' take on what happened Saturday evening, uh, where it always seems to happen in Cincinnati sports when it rains, it pours. You can't just have one bad thing happen; you got to have have another bad thing happen as well. And uh, knock Cincinnati down to ten and four on the season, and they drop their first conference game. Thoughts? I mean, it's it's kind of been the same thing all year for basketball in that they they almost kind of like the the football team it's it's like they can't put a full game together more often than not right i mean this game again we struggled with 
free throws. Again, we struggled with three pointers Mm -hmm. and defensively when you give up 48 to 25 in the first half, I mean, that's, that's quite a hole. And when you don't have a go-to guy that you go, that you can lean on for taking over a game and scoring, that's continued to nip them in the bud. And, you know, I mean, they, yes, in the second half, they held Tulane to five field goals. That's fantastic. (laughs) But when you start with a 48 to 25, 23 point deficit first half, that's, that's quite a hole. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, another thing is this Tulane is, is a pathetic rebounding team. And this, this, should have been a game that even if you do struggle, you're able to haul in rebounds left and right. Cincinnati did out-rebound them, but it was only by three. And it seemed like, you know, just it was a game all around where a lot was left to be desired. And one that, you know, once once Tulane went on their big run, it just felt like Cincinnati would, would just chip away, chip away, chip away. And then I mean, it's hard to, to really muster up that many points, especially when, when – you know, like you said, Aaron, there's just there's really no player on the team that can break down a defense and and you know get into the lane and and, and make a play at the rim or, or anything. Let's like that. let's be let's be clear on one thing. Yeah, the effort in the first half was abysmal. Yeah, dreadful, like embarrassing. The effort level in the first half, they didn't sprint back, they didn't locate shooters, they had guys that are like like high 30s and 40% shooters mm-hmm. shooting wide open rhythm threes with nobody within 10 feet of them. Right. That absolutely can't happen. And, and they got what they deserved in that first half. Like they earned that ass whipping 48 to 25 mm-hmm. because they did not meet the standard of and I very rarely go here because I usually think it's people just blowing off steam um, when they go that route. But it was it was warranted. Like that team did not play hard in the first half, and they got their ass kicked. And then, shockingly, guess what happens? In the second half, they played really hard, and they outscored them thirty-five to twenty. And it should have been worse, but they missed their last eight free throws. In an eight-point loss. So, the first half for me was as frustrated as I've been in a while because if this team is to have success, they have to know it's Mm effort-based because they are not a good team offensively. They are not skilled. They do not pass it well. They do not shoot it well. Mm -hmm. You have to know your own scouting report. You have to understand your limitations and play to your strengths. And they are, at times, a team that plays to their weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And Wes has got to get that out of them. He sees it. He talks about it in the postgame, exactly what we're talking about now. Yep. So they have to understand who they are and what they have to do to be successful. And I wonder how much of that is. Like, Jeremiah Davenport is the emotional leader of this team, right? Yeah. But who's the leader? Like, who is it that is is saying, 
playing like this is unacceptable. And we like, there's going to be hell to pay in that locker room. If we ever play like we did in that first half again, who is that guy? Is it Jeremiah? If it is, we need to see it. Yeah. I don't see Trey Scott coming through those doors anytime soon. (laughs) Trey, Gary, SK, Justin Jackson, Titus Rubles, guys that held their teammates accountable. Mm -hmm. Who on this team? And look, this is also a referendum on the fact that, that this roster turned over three times in three years. Yep. Leadership is earned. Leadership, right. respect is earned. It's not just given. Yeah. And right now they are at a point where I don't think that leadership has really fully been earned in that locker room mm-hmm. because we have seen far too much inconsistency in terms of effort, in terms of if we're going to win, we have to understand our way to win is being the toughest team on the floor. And when yeah. they have been the toughest team on the floor, they have played well. When they have not been the toughest team on the floor, they get beat 48 to 25 in the first half against Tulane. Four and six Tulane. Can't happen. Can't happen. Look, if they were playing great or they were playing hard, and Tulane just happened to be hitting contested shots. That would be one thing. That wasn't the case on Saturday night. And I'm furious because we busted our ass to get back from Texas so that I could be at that game. You know how many of the media members that were in Texas were at that game? At tip? Period. Dan and Mo don't count. They flew back on the team plane. The rest of the media, the count was me. So I'm mad. They got me to answer to. I'm showing up at practice tomorrow on Raising Hell. I'm holding people accountable. <laughs> Coach Chad is pissed. Hey, ex- explain to us <laughs> the uh, kind, kind of give us the step by step rundown of of how the whole 700 WLW thing came about. That Dan and and Mo weren't there, and Terry's like, Chad, you're with me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, okay, let's go. You know me. Uh, you tell me you're going to put a mic in front of my face. I'll talk. Did, did you tell him you wanted no to be color? There's no mistake there. Huh? Did you tell him you wanted to be color? No, he just, you know, he's done, like when Dan lost his voice, he's done some play-by-play before. Yeah. So he just was like, follow my lead. And I was like, all right, I got you. <laughs> was it fun to be back in the uh, in the booth a little bit? Yeah, I love it. I like, you know, that's one of the things I was, was what I wanted to do when I grew up. Right. (laughs) Now I'm doing this instead, which is a a pretty good gig too. Yeah. But you know, I've always, I've always wanted to to be doing radio broadcasts and even as fleeting as that was, it was fun. And I think my, if you go back, my analysis was pretty good. Yeah. I talked Forbes and, 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 Cook being guys that you had to tag because they could really shoot. They went five for seven in that first half when they ran up 48 points. Um, Some of those were heat checks, too. Man. But they were wide open. Right. Right. If you're wide open and you're in rhythm, guys now can shoot from 26 feet. Like, yeah. in the old days, that was the guys just never practiced that. Steph Curry changed that, right? Mm-hmm. 
Steph Curry changed that because he wasn't afraid to. I'll just I'll let it go from thirty. I don't forty, fifty, right. whatever. I'll just these are regular shots. Ah, man. Well, I you know, I think the main thing is roster turnover, as, as you mentioned. Um, it's 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 it, it's a work in progress. It's Wes's first year. It's there's yeah, it's so many time. things. Yeah, and man, I we're gonna. You mean, you mean he doesn't need to be fired already? Ooh, because <laughs> there was plenty of that on social media. Good God. I, you know the funniest thing is I I, I guarantee you we're going to talk about that Kansas City trip for years to come. About like, man, this that this looks like a dark horse NCAA tournament team, and man, it's just a lot of things need to be worked out. And seventeen and, to nineteen wins. I'm looking pretty prophetic. Yeah, and, and you know what? It it kind of you know some of my friends were mentioning this how you know. How, how did this team beat Illinois? And Because they played harder than Illinois. Right. It's like they played the first half that Tulane did the entire game. You know, didn't really have the, the same amount of shot making, but they're, they're playing hard, going after everything. You know, just doing everything it takes to build a lead and sustain a lead. So, I, you know, it's they still have it in them. They, they could surprise on, on Thursday night against, against SMU. They could turn around and all of a sudden pull off a win in that one. Um, I mean, it's just it's a long season. It's it's going to be interesting to see where they go after this, though, because, you know, we've been mentioning how you, know, you beat, beat Tennessee Tech by nine. You know, you all of a sudden you lose to Tulane. You had that struggle against the team in, from Norwood. How is this team going to be able to rectify themselves? Because they go SMU, Memphis, I, you know, it's, it's not a hard, hard AAC, but it's one where you could definitely, you know, fall and, and, and lose a couple games back to back if you don't right the ship in a, in a quick hurry. So, I don't know. We'll see. They'll get there. Yeah, they will. They will. They need um, some shooting, man. They need some shooting. They need some, some, some leadership and some consistent toughness. I, I don't think it's a three, four. I mean, you can be where you need to be. Or pretty close next year, uh, between adding Skillings and and Reed and and hitting the transfer portal for another guy or two, um, you can make a significant jump in one year. Uh, it, it's Look what not, Iowa State did. Yeah, you know, just gotta just gotta hit, gotta get lucky. That's getting that's getting really lucky on a lot of you know transfers and yeah, a lot of transfers that all click. Like that's yeah. not easy to hit that right recipe. Uh, you see teams do it. Like there's a team or two that does it every year. There's a reason not everybody does it because it's right. really hard to thread that needle. Yeah, just just more the fact that a quick turnaround is possible because in in basketball it's not like you know in football you got to build a foundation. You gotta you, you got to build the lines. You right. gotta you gotta you gotta find a quarterback. You got a right. lot of boxes to check. There's less boxes to check in basketball now. It's yeah. not like it was when Mick had to rebuild this thing, right? Right. And you had to rebuild it literally from the ground floor. Yep. Um, you can skip some steps in in the college basketball world now that mm-hmm. uh, make things a little easier for you. Yeah. I add add a add a big time player, add another player, have one player take a big jump, all of a sudden you're right there. So right. yeah, I, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a maybe not next year, but I mean, Dan Skillings is, is blowing up, and he's going to be a really good player. 
Yeah. So we'll see what kind of pieces are are filled in next to him and who who does make a big leap and go from there. But a lot of season left. Crazy 9 p.m. tip on Thursday night against SMU. Um, man, that's a, that's a late one. But here we are. West Miller still full steam ahead, trying to build this team and, and make it as great as it can be. So don't give up on him. Don't give up. I didn't on even him. see that. 9 p.m. Oof. Yeah, that's a nine o'clocker. Woof. Yeah. Woof. Uh, <laughs> Woof is right. Uh, well, anything in recruiting real fast? We saw Rayvon Griffith dropped his top 10. And as the Nostradamuses that we are, Cincinnati Bearcats were involved in that top 10. Um, anything else that you're hearing as far as that goes or football? Uh, JQ Hardaway played in the uh, All American Bowl on Saturday. Heard it was a really hot one. Um, but uh, yeah, recruits are, are big time. Yeah, I mean, I think they're they're definitely in the mix with Rayvon. Um, so we'll uh, we'll we'll see where that goes. I know it's still a long way to go. So yeah. I, I'm not I'm not in a position yet to say like who is who is the team to watch for. Like who is mm-hmm. I, I think he's still formulating that. I mean, obviously Ohio State's going to be tough. There are a couple others that have, they're involved uh, that are going to be right there with Cincinnati, but. Um, I think West Miller uh, has a shot to uh, to make a real strong pitch to him that look, we need a, a big athletic wing three type, and you fit that bill uh, pretty pretty much to a T. So yep, I agree. They've done a good job so far. Let's see where they go from here. Football, Aaron, and any uh, any rumblings you're hearing or anything else we've got drumming up over there on the old uh, pigskin recruiting? With the season over, there's going to be some things coming. It's just not here yet. Right. We're getting there. We'll, we'll talk next week. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, I, I think without further ado, I mean, we've we've been Dan Cohen it up this entire time. I think it's time that we 513 shirts it up. 513shirts.com it up and open up that that goody goody mailbag. 513shirts.com. Chad handed out his Christmas gift. Hats galore. Where's Here. your where's your hat? It's 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 out there. Aaron's got his on. Oh why don't Aaron, the- Aaron told us last week these are fire flex fits. Super Even for your gigantic dome, it fits pretty good, doesn't it, Brent? Fireball. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, it's a it's a one fit all. Um, you know, well, so it's big, an extra large one fit all. Big brain. <laughs> big big brain. head. Can't have a big brain without a big head. Big Amen. hair. Big, big hair. hair too. You got some big hair too. Yeah, a little a little poof. Yeah. <laughs> a little something something <laughs> that that fresh out the shower feel. But five one three shirts Aaron, tell us a little bit about. 513shirts.com. Well, they still have the free shipping on all orders over $45, and they have now added that if you enter the code BCJ, uh, you do receive 10% off on your order. So don't forget to drop that code BCJ for your 513shirts.com. And they were gracious enough to uh, add another month of sponsoring this mailbag. So uh, we do appreciate the love there from 513shirts.com, where, again, they do have the flag... Back they added the uh, the car, 
the the city, the Jingtat, Juba, Huvan, whatever, the little uh, mm -hmm. the car flag that you can put on your car as well. Jeff, you can get your hat at 513shirts.com. You drop down uh, partners and it says mm -hmm. uh, Bearcat Journal. You can get your hat. And then if you enter BCJ at checkout, you get 10% off. Hey, Jeff, buy him a PTP hat and do an even exchange. Ooh. Boom. Ooh. I'm just saying, I don't I don't have your merch. Like, come on, you want you. my merch for like, we're about supporting our business partners, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the mailbag, uh, it was a little, little deep today. So a lot of good questions that. today. A lot of good questions today. I agree. Um, there there was even a book. So uh, that's that's coming in the basketball. <laughs> Read a book. Wait, uh, let's keep the questions short, guys. Let, 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 short, sweet, to the point. All right. Um, so comments will have to wait here as I'm dropping the banners. But opening up that 513 shirts mailbag, uh, football mailbag first. As always, Brent, great meeting you Friday. This is from T-Bearcat fans too. Is Jackson Brown still in play? Also, what other coaching changes wouldn't shock you? I've seen a lot about Perry and Mason. Jackson Brown. I don't know. What do you guys heard? I mean, not looking great. I would, if I had to guess right now, I'd say probably Kentucky, but I know they're, they're given a, a they're still involved. Um, it'll depend on if Kentucky is where he takes his final official visit. going to be hard to beat uh, Kentucky. Um, Perry, I know his name has been mentioned with the Notre Dame uh, defensive coordinator position, but I don't necessarily see a lot of steam there. Um, I know he's probably somebody that Marcus has interest in, uh, at least talking to, but I haven't gotten a, a sense like we have with some of the other stuff. You know, we, we had a pretty good idea that, that Denbrock was going to be calling. Um, or LSU was going to be calling for Denbrock. We had an idea that Notre Dame was going to make a play for Brian Mason. Uh, Todd, 513shirts.com. Drop down partners. Uh, it's in there. And if you enter BCJ at checkout, you get 10% off. <laughs> Nicely, you came up. You, you commissioned the logo. Congratulations. Um, so, you know, you have to wonder, um, you know, do, does somebody make a run? Somebody else, you know, it, Perry's got to be a hot name. Perry Eliano, cornerbacks coach. He just coached the two best corners in the country on the same team. Right. Right. The Thorpe Award winner and the guy that put up stats that nobody else uh, matched in the country. Bananas. So that, that's going to be a name that people are going to have interest in for what he's done. Um, we'll see from there. Uh, not a lot of smoke yet. A, a lot of these places have, have filled their jobs. Right. Um, so there's not a ton left, but there's still enough out there that that assistant coach carousel is, uh, is still moving. We also saw, uh, what, uh, Trestle's name getting tossed around a little bit and, and it's all tied to that team up in South Bend. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, Fall as they may, there's so many good coaches on the staff right now where I think 
I think they just got a ship where when when the captain's in charge, I think I think he can pretty easily use his connections and and find replacements if need be. Yeah. T Bearcats fans too also asks: Are th- is there any chance that Fickle finds a role for Chris Ash? Probably not. And Chris Ash is going to want to make a lot of money wherever he goes. So uh, they don't have a defensive coordinator job open. I, I just don't, you know, it doesn't seem likely. All right. Bearcat Mass 4 asks, what was your favorite singular play from this season? And what is your most memorable play slash moment of Dez's career? It's got to be knocking the ball away on the goal line against Tulsa, right? Like eight straight, basically eight straight attempts. Right. And they get the final one and the guy's reaching the ball towards the goal line and it gets knocked out. Mm-hmm. Like that's as uh, clutch slash money as it gets. Well, and then also Notre Dame does his touchdown run. Maybe uh, the the Malik Van Sack kind of, you know, bringing it all together at the very end where you kind of felt that they were going to win. Um, any deep bomb to trace the, sorry, to Tyler Scott. Uh, I was going to say the very first play of the season. Uh, yeah, yeah. The yeah. first play of the season has to be up there. Cause that kind of set the tone that like, yeah, we're putting our then, foot on the gas. You've got a Trey Tucker kick return against IU. Um, yeah, man. That any, been... any 40 plus run by Jerome Ford. Yeah, right. Breaking was... away like secretariat at the Belmont. That was um, phenomenal from Dan Ward. Oh yeah, gotta love it. I, I don't know. I think it's hard to really break it down into one. I, you know, Kobe's pick six was kind of another one that kind of a big play when when they kind of were, were hitting a bit of a lull in the game. Um, I don't know. There's, there's Todd, if you mention here. if you mention West Side Jesus again, I'm going to just ban you from the website. For <laughs> Um, if we're talking about most memorable play moment of Dez's career, I think the chili special was an awful fun one. Yeah, that was fun, but I don't know that it was the it was best his, play of his if career. If you're talking about memorable, it was the only receiving touchdown he ever had. <laughs> or his, yeah, his I'll go I'll go the 91 yard. I was gonna say the 90 yard SMU run. 91 yard SMU run to kind of rub their nose in it a little bit. Yeah, I I think anytime that he kind of where he'd he'd have a touchdown or or a big play and would just go to the crowd no matter if it, it was at home or away and just kind of do the do the arms raised out you know just kind of like like oh look at me because he deserved it um, yeah I mean the chili special is is probably going to be up there in his book um, but yeah for me it'd probably be SMU but I don't want to say that because I wasn't there you know type ordeal but were you at a wedding. Uh, <laughs> He was out of the country. Quite opposite. I wasn't uh, I was in Virginia. I was out of town. Not not for a wedding though. <laughs> a little bit on the other other end of the spectrum. But um yeah, I I mean Des made so many memories, man. It's uh it's hard to really pinpoint one. T Bearcat fans too ask what additional resources outside of practice facility is Fickle looking for? Analysts, bigger recruiting department, etc. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean that He's looking for things that make the program stronger, uh, better recruiting, like uh, uh, amenities for when when kids are in town. Um, you know, 
more money for staff uh, is always probably the biggest one on the list. Um, better, you know, behind the scenes, like uh, the budget for uh, players, uh, meal plans and everything, everything. Again, if you go listen to my my interview with John Cunningham, uh, it might be probably on the second page of the board by now uh, from last Wednesday. Like he talks about, like I have to force Luke to talk about his contract because he's so singularly focused on what we need to do for all of the other stuff to make this program continue pushing forward. So if there's something that he feels that needs you know, to be, and, and it's everything because there's, there's always room for improvement. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what he's looking for. He's looking for the foundation of this program to continue pushing forward. Well, all right. Well, all right. Do we need better athletes on defensive front six when going up against the likes of Alabama, or do we need to switch to a four man line? Second question, any idea if there will be intensive training this January with so many seniors (laughs) moving on? And that comes from Scott M I 2003. There doesn't need to, how many times have I had to talk about three, four versus four, three this year? A million, a million and a half. It has nothing to do with how many guys are are playing with their hand in the dirt. It has to do with how many guys are in the box and their ability to get off blocks and make plays. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter 3-4 or 4-3. And look, the days of having four defensive backs on the field is pretty much gone. Like it, you're getting six and you're getting six guys between your defensive linemen and your linebackers, you get six. If it's four down and, and two up or three down and three up, I think they prefer three down and three up because it gives you that. that you, uh, think if they had one less linebacker on the field this year with how many plays between DeBlanco, Beavers, Pace, and Van Fossen, how many plays the linebackers make? You're going to take one of those guys off the field? Right. Maybe. But what are you going to lose in your ability to play in space and and to cover tight ends and you know so it's not about how many guys you have standing at the line of scrimmage it's about your ability to put guys in the box and play downhill when they put guys in the box and played downhill played four or five guys in the box with DeBlanco and and either Huber uh, or, or Beavers filling the gaps. They were able to stop the run. And then the second part, as far as do you think there's going to be intensive training? The culture is set. You don't have to put them through hell again. It was a country club culture under Tommy Tuberville. Mm -hmm. That's what they were trying to change. They were trying to set the tone for what the culture would be. All of these guys that are young – understand the culture they've lived it yeah now it's just their turn to shepherd it forward right shout out to uh kelsey sharkey with the uh intensive training footage and the the yeah. video during game day um it's great awesome awesome all right um 
Cincy fan fourteen twenty four asks, "Will they retire Ritter's number?" We kind of touched on that earlier that they don't retire numbers; uh, they put them in the Ring of Honor. And is Sauce's season the single most impressive slash dominant by a Bearcat ever? I think we all came to the same agreement there uh, that yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, Ritter number. I mean, I don't know if they, Chad, you said they don't retire numbers, so Ring of Honor. Um, Ring of Honor. He's gonna be in the Ring of Honor. And Sauce is, man, Sauce is a legend, man. And he, I mean, the thing about Sauce, too, is, like, he's not, like, he, he runs his mouth, right? On the but field. Not a lot. Not no, as no, much no. as people think. Well no, well, no, you didn't let me finish. Like, like okay. to, to the opponents. But he's not, like, one of those, like, flashy, loud cornerbacks that people hate. You know what I mean? He's someone that just goes out and handles their business and does it at an elite level. So I think yeah. it, it, he's going to be someone that at the next level people are just going to love because he's just a really, really good player. He doesn't have to be all flash. He, he's flashy with his with his sauce ice and things of that sort, but he's he's a, a professional, dominant, elite cornerback. Elite football player, really. The most dominant player to ever play at Cincinnati. All right, Killer, Killer V asks, do you think if the Bearcats had elected to receive rather than defer and taking a 3-0 lead, the game would have played out differently in the first half, grabbing the lead and getting a feeling of confidence rather than having a feeling of having the ball shoved down our throats and giving up seven and then settling for three? I mean, what makes you think that Alabama wouldn't have gone right down the field and Thumbs scored seven time. after Cincinnati got a field goal? You know, I think you heard Luke talk – Leading up to the game, they were going to, you know, be themselves, do what they did to, to get here and, and play their game. I mean, every time they won a coin toss this year, they deferred to the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's it's probably, yeah. I mean, would it would, would it have been different? Who knows? Um, but man, you could say that about literally anything sure. from that game. Yeah, if Trey it, Tucker if Trey Tucker catches the ball and cuts the lead. Uh... 17-13, or they go for two, and it's 17-14. What right. does the, the game pressure look like on Notre Dame or on Alabama with a young team, you know, yeah, in that game pressure in the semifinals for the first right. time? Do they make a mistake? Do they, you know, get caught up? There, there was a million different – I don't think and, – and, you know, Luke isn't really one – all that often they've done it a couple times to to win the toss and take the ball mm-hmm. um they win the toss they defer they want the ball to start the second half all right lxa bearcat 2011 asks we have had some special seasons in the last 15 years our four best seasons have ended in a loss is there a path to changing this would like to know our thoughts play yeah. better <laughs> i well i think it's you know when you when you do have your best season, you're going to play the teams that are right there at the top. So um, becoming that top 10 program, I, I think that's the, the next step. And, and the one they should have won was Virginia Tech, and yeah. they just they played like dog shit right, that day. Right, right. No, I mean, that Florida team. They were, they were that, national championship caliber. In that circumstance against that Florida team. And they they – we're so close against Georgia. Like, should have beat Georgia. Should have beat Georgia. 
Like they, they, you know, they shouldn't have beat Virginia Tech. They played awful. Should have beat Georgia. It's Georgia just misses that field goal. You kneel and you're done. Right. Oh my god. So, and Alabama was better. Like, is what it is. You, you played. You 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 took your shot at Goliath and you missed. Like that whole David and Goliath story is a whole lot different if David doesn't hit the shot, right? <laughs> All right. So Killer V has kind of a long question here. Uh, which moment was bigger with regard to the final outcome? Number one, the failure to convert because of the deflected pass to Pierce that could have made it seven, seven. Number two, the failure to move the ball at the end of the half and leaving time for Bama to make the one big pass play rather than going in 10 to three. Number three, failure to recover the fumble on the muff punt on the six yard line with the score 10 to three, a score of any kind makes it either 10 to six or 10 to 10 failure to do anything as number four, uh, Slash score with the Cook interception with the score 17-6 and five minutes left in the third. Score of any kind makes that 17-13 or 17-9. It's a muff punt. Yeah. The ball was right there. Like, it it bounced three, like, in and out of three different players' hands. You had your chance to change that game, and they just didn't do it. I mean, even if you, you know, Go in 10-10, even if you do just get a field goal in that opening drive coming out of halftime. I mean, you are – then you're playing with crazy house money, kind of like what they did at Notre Dame that entire second half with, when they built that big lead. So, yeah, for me, it's the muff punt. I think we're all on the same page then. Uh, <clears throat> UC Merck asks, how many more times do you think our Bearcats will play in that stadium in the next 10 years, bearing in mind that that is where the Big 12 championship is hosted more than one <laughs> if you set the un- over under at 1.5 i'll take the over how's that what, what if you set it at 2.5 mm, probably still take the over but let me see a season or two in the big 12 first next okay. to next uh, 10 years so big 12 move is in two years so talking three out of eight that's a lot that's a lot I'll maybe take it. Of course you would. The eternal optimist strikes again. <laughs> All right. Uh, Bearcat Buck 223 asks, why do we think Sauce didn't follow Jameson Williams across the field in the playoff? It was reported in practice he would, but he wasn't in the game. Yes, he did. When they were in man, he followed him. I, I saw him in the slot. I saw him at field. I saw him at boundary. When they were in zone, you don't move somebody around in zone. We covered that a little bit. Man, I think a lot of those third and longs were in zone. Yeah, I think that's a trestle thing. He likes to play zone on third down. Yeah. Hate it. Hate it. Jay Sag Cincy asks, of all the players eligible, eligible to return, name one that you would feel would benefit the most personally with another year and one that you feel would benefit the team the most with their return. I'm going to go under the radar here. Hey, Jabari Taylor. I think he's a guy that because of the depth, like he's played a really important role, but it's been kind of limited. I think you give him more time. I think you make him uh, 70% of the, you know, 60, 70% of the snaps guy. I think he can be an Elijah Ponder type. Um, I think if he comes back, I think he could really, really find a a place on that defensive line to be an impact guy. Elijah another Curtis Brooks type ordeal would be. Yeah, where Curtis Brooks was 
significantly improved his stock coming back this year. Yeah. Um, I, I would even say Malik as well. I think uh, he's been really good. But yeah, I, Malik's I had more like Malik's been a starter. Like, right. So I think he can improve his play. Yeah. But I don't think he's going to improve, although he missed four or five games because of that high ankle sprain. Yeah. Um, I, I agree Malik can improve his stature. Like, I think he would be more like Curtis than Jabari, yeah. right? Because Curtis played, it was basically a starter last year. Right. Right. For me, I'm, I'm going to say the, uh, obviously, either one of the tight ends, whether it be Wiley or Lenny, um, I think they would benefit the most personally yeah. uh, and also the team as I think tight end is still maybe the lightest position as far as um, guys coming up. So mm-hmm. I went just right on the radar. You see Mark 17 asks, if you've already said this on the podcast, please disregard, but what position is pace going to play the rush end or more of a linebacker? I thought he was able to get 11 sacks in 22 games. Granted he had six in one game his freshman year. He's a linebacker. Rush end, he is not He's not long enough to play rush end. All right. Uh, Bearcat Texas asks, is Gino the new offensive coordinator? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. We answered that already. Hurry up and wait. Uh, PDT Bearcat asks, are, are, are there any potential Grand Slam Dan Enos-type hires for the position coach spots? Dan Enos was a Grand Slam-type hire to coach running backs for a year? Um, I, I don't at this point, no, like we know that Mike Denbrock is gone and there's a pretty good chance Gino Gadulli is going to replace him. Mm-hmm. If there are other moves, we'll cover those as they uh, happen. And the last question that I'm seeing in the football mailbag is from Bath 299. While the outcome didn't give the desired result, how impressed were you with how Bearcat Nation showed up? I had a Bama fan stop me in the parking lot after and tell me how impressed he was with the fan base and not to get discouraged. This is a program on the rise. It was awesome. It was unbelievable to see Mm -hmm. the fan base have that kind of uh, moment in the sun. It was well-earned. It was awesome. It was kind of like... not really a replay of the Sugar Bowl, but it had those kind of vibes. But and then it was amped up to the next level when they when they showed up at AT and T Stadium and, and kind of just did their thing there as well. Um, it it was awesome. It was very awesome. And like like you said, Aaron, every Alabama fan that I talked to was was in complete agreement with that. Although some Alabama fans I heard were a little little uh, too rowdy in the uh, in the stands, but luckily we were up in the press box, so didn't have to quite worry about that true story all right moving to the basketball portion of the 513 shirts.com mailbag i don't want to <laughs> <laughs> i'm out with you guys have fun kindog 202 asks with rayvon griffith releasing his top 10 over the weekend what are you hearing on where we are at on it at this time who is the main competition currently for him Already as we alluded to earlier when mm-hmm. we know something, we'll let you know. Yep. Um, and then you see Doc. With the question. Go to his book of a question. 
With the questions about Wes and what to expect, what do you see? I've posted that it takes three years to evaluate a new basketball coach. In the first year and even second year, I look for progress. I pointed out JD seems to be rebounding better as an example. I asked those in the know to post what improvements they are seeing. Some took that to say I'm looking at a finished product in year one, and that misses the point. Coach Luke Fickle lost first year, but you could see progress in Ritter and tight end secondary development. Ritter coach- didn't play in Luke's first year. Coach Tommy Tuberville, I never saw improvement from many, if any. My point is, can you or Chad or those who see this team almost every day, what are you seeing? In summary, at the initial hire, we all thought we had the next coming of Dean Smith. Unfortunately, some don't want to tolerate growing pains, and I just want you guys to summarize progress this year and not either one, fire West, which is asinine, or two, give it four years to see any improvement, which is Coach Tommy Tuberville, equally asinine. What gives you guys hope? for the rest of the year and not with but steps you see i don't know thank you when they have done what is being asked of them they've played pretty well when they have not done what is being asked of them it has been a struggle Mm -hmm. so i mean that kind of is the 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 baseline for this thing right like, if you don't think Mike Saunders is better than he was last year, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but Micah at this point kind of – he kind of is what he is, right? Because he doesn't have that aggressive scorer's mentality. And we're now on our second coach that's trying to pull that out of him, and, and it hasn't happened. Right. So you have to think that's a Micah thing and not a coach thing, right? Yep. David DeJulius has played – significantly better than last year uh, albeit still has those nights where he can't get anything to fall yeah um i think from the start of the season to now abdul ado has played a lot better um i would like to see more development from Odie here because i think he should be a matchup problem for for a lot of the guys in the american athletic conference Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to see if he can step it up a little bit. The book is out on Vic a little bit right now. Like we always talk about adjusting to the adjustments teams have figured out, like, don't just let him catch it on the block and like slow back you in and get to his, uh, scoring move. Cause he's going to score. So now right. they're digging down on him, getting the ball out of his hands, making him put it on the floor and taking it away. Um, that's, that's going to be on Vic where he's got to, the game's got to slow down for him a little bit. And he has to understand now teams have got the scouting report. Now teams have got the video on him and and he's got to adjust to the adjustments. I think there's been quite a bit of improvement. It's maybe not, you know, significant, but I see guys getting better. I just think as a unit that that next step is understanding what 40 minutes of effort looks like. And I don't think they're quite there yet. For for me with Wes is the fact that he is a basketball nut. Like you you can tell it every time he talks, you can tell it in all the stories that people talk about him. He's, he's a gym rat. He's someone that is just tirelessly working with basketball, you know, and, and I think that's where it's a little different than, you know, like a Tommy Tuberville situation or, or, or anything like that, where it's kind of just, 
You know, you're kind of just here. I, I think Wes wants it more than anything. And that sort of, of buy-in and, and culture building and his history of success as well, I, I think that's what kind of separates him. The, the fact that he's just a young go-getter, still striving to do everything it takes to, uh, to succeed. So I think that's the, the biggest promise is, is the amount of work that he puts in and how much he is just a basketball nut. If you want to hear what's going right and what's going wrong, listen to a post-game presser. He tells you. Yeah. Like, he doesn't hold back. He lets you know straight up, like, this is what we're doing. This is what we're not doing. This is what we need to do better. Mm-hmm. He's, he's very open and honest about that end of things. Yeah. Well, what gives me hope is the fact that we're 14 games in and we're still overachieving at large this season, I believe. Um, I, I didn't know that we were going to be 10 and 4. Um while I, I don't love some of the losses that we've had, um, this one especially, um, I'm I'm still optimistic because I I did not think they would be ten and four. For right. me, Tulane is the first bad loss. Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? The, like that first half, yuck. So, um, the next question is fairly long as well. Second half against. Bear in mind as you're asking these questions, I only have 200 characters to try and fit a question, including your name. So um, I'm I'm doing my best here. But uh, the second half against Tulane last year was a false dawn in hindsight. But at the time, it felt like the promise of the young JB Bearcats really showed up then. Did the Tulane second half this year similar feel like any kind of watershed moment in terms of game planning, like sending four or execution in terms of shot selection, etc.? Or until we see otherwise. Did it just look better because of the three of you plus two of any of us playing is about the only way the Cats could have looked worse in the second half? And that's from AC Mazzaro. They looked better because they played harder. They paid attention. And <clears throat> playing harder is, is – it, it, it's like when you, know, when you talk about toughness. It's something that is just intrinsic in understanding. We're not going to let these guys just, you know – throw two passes to a wide open shooter in transition. Mm -hmm. It's going to bust a three in your face. No, get back because those two steps that you got back slow are what caused that three pointer to be wide open to a good shooter in rhythm. Like that stuff didn't happen in the second half. That's why they shot 19% from the floor and 12% from three in the second half. It's, it's a competitive fire thing. Like, you have to understand, again, I said this when we were talking basketball, you have to understand your scouting report. You have to understand that you are not a skilled, highly skilled team on the offensive end. You have to understand that if you're going to win, your effort and your toughness has to be at a high level from every player on the floor for 40 minutes. And if it's not, what we saw happen in that first half is going to happen at other points throughout this season. So hopefully that second half, when compared to the first, when they start looking at this tape and and you know they're gonna look at it a lot and Wes is going to be able to say, this is what it looks like when you're not giving max effort and this is what it looks like when you do. I couldn't say it better. (laughs) Well, I was gonna say, well said. All right, Killer V asks, if Wes were to go straight into rebuild mode and not worry about outcomes, who would be the starters? I don't know. 
I, I hate this because then it like what this answer wants me to say is, or what this question wants me to say is, you totally disregard the like uh, Koval and and Ado, 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 Ado. I don't believe that. Like these guys are on the team. They're busting their ass in practice. They're earning their minutes. Uh, you're not putting the. You're not. That's not how you treat kids. Well, and they did him a favor by coming here when we had right. we didn't have a team. So I, I'm not answering that question. All if right. you guys want to, go ahead, but I'm not. I'm not touching it. All right. UC929699 asks, which underclassman looks like he's developing? UC bunch of numbers. <laughs> which <laughs> underclassman looks like he's developing and making strides to be a big contributor by the end of the season? Mike Saunders. Hensley. Hensley is starting at, at times to get a little bit more run and starting to, I think, understand like what kind of role he can have on this team um, and figuring out who he's going to be going forward. Uh, Vic. Yeah, Vic, definitely. I think that one, that one's That's a no-brainer. understood, right? right? Like if he can start to adjust to the adjustments like we just talked about, mm. then he's got an insanely high ceiling. Um, he's just got to understand that now when you get that ball, teams are going to be looking to double. So maybe you look over the top of that guard that's trying to dig down on you. Like I haven't seen teams really send like a big to big double on him. It's been more smalls coming down and swatting at the ball when he brings it down low to get in position to get to his hook shot or whatever. Mm-hmm. So if you, if he starts to understand like ball comes in, you pause for a second, you wait to see if that, that guard is going to dig down. As soon as he comes to you, you kick it back out over the top to, you know, maybe for an open shot or, a, a you know, where the ball starts swinging, you make the defense move, or you kick it back out, the guard has to adjust, you repost, you get it back, and now you're in position to just turn and hit that layup where you don't have to dribble it. Um, some of that stuff is going to, like, that's going to be the focus for him. This is what they're doing to you. This is how we want you to, you know, adjust to that. And let's see if he can take that next step. All right. Anybody else that you'd feel like worth mentioning? Uh, I mean, I, I, mean, I want to put McGinnis on that list. Yeah, I was about to say. Up. Yeah, I, the, the green light thing is awesome when the shots are falling. But they got to start falling again. <laughs> right. I wondered if his name would come up or not. All right. Yeah, making some shots. The last portion of the mailbag, the Banks mailbag of the 513shirts.com BBP mailbag. It's only one question, um, or at least one post. And of course, it's from Skins99. Welcome back, gents. In honor of Betty White, I have two questions. The first one is Who is your favorite Golden Girl, and why is Chad most like Sophia? Follow-up question. What is your favorite sporting event road trip and why? P.S. Not that anyone cares, but my <laughs> AIDS slash COVID is all but gone except for this stupid cough. I do have a New Year's resolution. <laughs> I am no longer going to try to kill Aaron. Based on his nicotine poisoning and Arkansas Ice Road incident, I think he will do it without my help in 2022. <laughs> Thanks for the vote of confidence, Skins. Not wrong. Oh, I'm Sophia. Without question. 
Yes. Without question. <laughs> Without question. So yeah, that one's that one's easy for me. Love the Golden Girls. Rest in peace, Betty White. She was hysterically funny for like 80 years. That's hard to do. <laughs> like that's hard to do. I've never seen the Golden Girls. I was gonna say I've never watched an episode start to finish ever. So I couldn't tell you who I am or not my bag. So so Rose was like the naive Betty White. She was like the naive, you know, sweet grandma type. Right. Brent. Yeah. Blanche. I'll take Betty White. Was the whore. <laughs> Aaron. <laughs> slept around. Did I get that right? Hold on. I think I might have got this backwards. Aaron. The BCJ. Oh. <laughs> uh Aaron Aaron would definitely be uh Dorothy was like the so Dorothy was was Rose's or uh, uh Sophia's daughter and she was like the sensible one. Mm-hmm. Who was the tall one? That was Dorothy. Okay. Rose, yeah. Rose was was Betty White. I had that right. Naive, known for hum- humorously peculiar stories of life growing up in her hometown. Uh, Blanche was the Southern Belle that like slept around with like whoever she could possibly sleep around with. That's Aaron. Yeah, that's Aaron for sure. Um, I don't know that we have a Dorothy. I was going to say Dave. Maybe Dave, but yeah, like sarcastic and quick wit yeah i can see dave as dorothy but and and brent is definitely rose for sure yes for sure you get to be betty white in this yeah you won this one brent yes (laughs) because i know who betty white is but i i've never seen the show so you got to watch a couple episodes of golden girls it's it's hysterically funny i will hysterically funny um and then what was your favorite sporting event road trip and why? You want to know the one that gets talked about the most? And it's not my favorite. Um, my favorite would probably be the baseball trip that my dad and I took. 90, I think it was 91 or 92. It was right after the Reds World Series because I had on a Nasty Boys shirt and got into like a fun little back and forth with a uh, relief pitcher outside the bullpen of the Kansas city Royals. But I got to see Bo Jackson live mm-hmm. and that was something like just watching that dude. He hit, he hit a home run like up the hill uh, at Kansas city stadium uh, in, in the alley. That was just one of the most impressive things, especially like a 13, 14 year old baseball junkie to watch a ball travel that fast, that far, like live in person, it's it was like breathtaking. Like that really can happen. <laughs> like somebody can hit a baseball that far, that fast. Holy shit! Um, but my favorite like story that my dad and I still we joked about it uh, while we were on this road trip is early '90s. UC was playing in the NCAA tournament in Nashville, 
And we hopped in the car that morning to go to the game and drove down 75 heading to Nashville. Well, if you know anything about the map, <laughs> 75 is not the way to Nashville. 75 is the way to Knoxville. 71 goes to Nashville. So we stopped at a rest area almost to the like, either right at or the one right before the Tennessee border and went to the bathroom and my dad, I come out of the bathroom and my dad's looking at the map and he's like, this is bad. Like this. Oh gosh. This is not good. <laughs> They're not close. No. So we did not have time from where we were to get to Nashville in time for the game. So we hopped back in the car and drove back to Cincinnati and watched the game at home. And, and, and that's not a situation where you can say, Hey Siri, right. Please help me locate this one right this was early this was early 90s the or yeah or, or, or yeah early 90s this was this was the map was was the only really uh way that that you made that distinction and uh we still to this day joke around about the the ncaa tournament that we drove to knoxville instead of nashville and didn't get to watch the game i you know all my road trips a lot of them are Cincinnati Bearcat based, obviously. Most of mine are as well. And and sadly, except like, for the baseball ones. And and sadly, most of them end in end in losses. <laughs> yeah, just like like dang, that was an awesome trip, but the very end was very bad. So I, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna say the verdict's still out on my uh, best sports road trip. We'll just say that. I haven't made it. one. The other one that was really cool for me was the Marshall game a couple of years ago because my dad yeah. got to go with me and he was down on the field with his Bearcat Journal hat on and a bunch mm-hmm. of people kind of stopping him and being like, oh, Bearcat Journal. And he got to be like, yeah, that's my son. And so, it was a win. And it was a win. And we got some pizza and drove home. Very happy that night. There we go. There we go. I haven't gotten to make enough trips uh, to to have a ton of stories for the trips that I've made, but of all the trips I made, I think this one was my absolute favorite for just first time in a press box for a bowl game. First bowl game I've traveled to, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, walking around with or without Chad and people recognizing me, calling me by name, like that was surreal. Um, just getting to party around and, and see the uh, the media room, like the media hospitality room and be a part of that and just you got your got your quarter zip on. I do, yeah. Those were nice. Those were a nice, nice gift. Did you get yours, Brent? I never made it to the media room. Uh I dang. might I might send an email and be like, yo, is my is my shirt available? Can you send it in <laughs> They're nice, they're North Face, man. They are, they were nice. They, I had mine on yesterday. I, Dallas the, is uh, just the- way too big, man. Like, yes. I, I didn't have a car there, so like, like a quick Uber to the media hotel was like a thirty-five minute Uber, and I was and like, then thirty-five back, yeah, back. yeah. It was like I, I just. Did you get? Did you get a hat? It. Did you get the hat? Yeah, I got the hat. I gave it to my dad. He's okay. a he's a hat guy. So Brent, did you ever find um, out why they were taking our pictures up in like individual pictures up in the media room? Yeah, you know, I imagine the press they, box? I imagine they'll send a link out. Who who knows? But that was kind of strange. <laughs> They're like, turn around, pose. He, he's like, all right, you're up. Next. Like, okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> take take your mask off and, and, and smile. I was like, okay, here we go. Mask but, off. 
That's the uh, that's the 513shirts.com mailbag. Again, don't forget you can go to their website at 513shirts.com, get free shipping on all orders over $45, and enter code BCJ for 10% off your total purchase. There we go. Well, guys, that was a uh, that was a nice, neat, well put together BVP. We didn't we didn't get too far off the rails. We we kind of made it a very uh there was a lot to talk about this one. Yeah, there was. A lot to talk about this one. There was. But maybe maybe uh, we'll have a lot to talk about the next one too. Okay. I'd like to talk about things that make us happy on the next one, not reliving just (laughs) darkness and to me though, man, like it wasn't that dark. I like look, it was Alabama. Like they didn't upset Alabama. Well, that was that was the sadness. Darkness was the basketball game. Christ, give me me one touchdown, man. One touchdown. Hear that crowd erupt. But you know, is what it is. Is what it is. But anything else, guys? Before we shut this one down? No, I'm good. Stay tuned. There's, there's still, it's still going to be a news heavy week. I think we're going to get a lot of uh, staying or going decisions both ways. I, I think most of the people you expect to go are going to go. Um, I think, you know, the, the ones that are staying, I think we have a pretty good beat on who they might be. Mm-hmm. I think most of those decisions are made except one. I think there could be one that's still teetering 50, 50. Um, so we'll see. There we go. That's a, it's a great little, uh, crumb piece there to, to close it out. But, um, Hey, you know what? A special thank you as well to, uh, of course, Danko transmission, 513shirts.com. Big shout out to the fan base. You guys showed up. We, it was so impressive seeing that everywhere that the, the team traveled and big thanks to the team and uh, all the seniors and, and everyone involved in the program this year. What a what a fun ride, man. What a fun ride. But without further ado, for my good friends, my pals, my buddies, my PSCs, my BBPs, Aaron Smith and Chad Brendel, I am Brent Young. This, again, is the BBP presented by BearcatJournal.com. See ya!